podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love your propane grill? Well, life just got a little easier with Propane Taxi. Stop lugging that tank. Propane Taxi is a propane grill tank home delivery service that's ridiculously easy and convenient. Just go online, choose a delivery date, and Propane Taxi delivers grill tanks straight to your door. You can exchange any brand of tank. And right now, new customers get their first tank exchange for $10 with promo code TANK10. That's $10 for your first tank exchange with promo code TANK10. Visit PropaneTaxi.com. No contact, no commitment, no problem. No one should settle when it comes to taking care of their health and wellness. And with Everly Well, you don't have to. Everly Well makes lab testing easy with over 30 at-home lab tests from food sensitivity and vitamin D to heart health and more. All with simple sample at-home collection, free shipping, and physician-reviewed results sent to your device in just days. Learn more at everlywell.com and demand better for your body. That's everlywell.com. first half and you know it was a, it was a fantastic strike by the old man to put our noses in front to put us in the lead just before half time and we really needed that because you know the game was we were struggling with the game in the first half and you know you could tell the players it's they were carrying them effects from the mid the midweek game in Istanbul and the Super Cup against Chelsea so you know second half though Liverpool came out and it was quite evident that Liverpool really wants to get the second goal quite early because it was always the case of Liverpool potentially tiring as the game went on. And, and Liverpool were in cruise control really in the second half and eventually we did get the goal. I mean, Firmino should have put us 2-0 up before he eventually did do. Fantastic play by Sadio Mane closing down and you know, put it into the path of, of Firmino and he basically went across field, didn't he? You know, he took about three or four of them out the, out the equation and then slotted it in the corner to make it 2-0. And, and it was pretty much game over, wasn't it, there and then? But the problem then was, you know, Liverpool was sort of like in cruise control, as I say. Should have made it 3-0, Andy Robertson was unlucky. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, there was a little bit of a warning sign in the first half with Adrian, where he, he hit one on to, I think it might have been Ward-Prowse, and it went out for a goal kick. And once again, you know, Van Dijk knocked it back to him, and I just don't know what he was thinking. Danny Ings was closing him down, and he just didn't get any height or anything on his on his goal clearance. And then bang, all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it's into the path of Danny Ings, and he goes into the net, a free goal, and those type of things can happen, you know, when you're not constant. The concentration levels aren't there, and you know, of course, after that, it give it gives Southampton that thought process then that they could probably snatch a point when Liverpool were, you know, three points should have been in the bag and they were pushing forward trying to get an equaliser and then Danny Ings missed an absolute sitter, should really have made it two all, but it would have been an absolute injustice really if Liverpool wouldn't have got the three points because we were far superior in that second half and, you know, as I say, a dodgy goalkeeper mistake has 
put us under a little bit of pressure towards the end of the game. But that said, to be fair to Adrian, you know, he did make a couple of good saves in the game as well. So it wasn't a completely shambolic performance by the goalkeeper because there were some good saves in there as well, to be fair, to give him the credit. But you can't be making mistakes like that in high-level football games in the Premier League. Well, any game of football really, but when it's a Premier League game, especially away from home like that, it's just, you know, it invites the pressure, doesn't it, late on? And we could have ended up dropping, dropping two points there where would have been a scandal really, but you know, thankfully Liverpool managed to get the three points and see the game out and go back top of the table and hopefully we'll remain there. Excellent. Cheers, Jay. OK, uh, over to you then, Elliot. going to talk a little bit about Arsenal's start to, of the season. Went away first game, um, beat Newcastle 1-0 and then a 2-1 victory against um, Burnley the weekend just gone. So, give what was your thoughts on the on the start of the season that Arsenal have made and how have the team um, adapted to, to, to the new signings? And um, just give us your thoughts on them, please. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you can't complain with six points from six, obviously. I think the fixture computer was pretty generous for us uh, to start the season. Obviously, Newcastle away can be a little tricky, but they don't look very good. Uh, I read that they have not completed a pass in the opposition box yet through two games. Not great. Their attack looks pretty blunt, and and that was the case on opening day. But, you know, it was sort of a monsoon, windy and rainy and just difficult conditions. And to be fair to Emery, he picked a really youthful side. Uh, he rewarded the academy kids that, that were great in the summer. So we started our season with players like Reese Nelson. Um, yes. And obviously he's he's a bright one for the future, but maybe still learning the position. We started with Joe Willick in midfield, who's – Really looking bright for us, but he started in the number 10 position, and I think he's maybe more of a central midfielder, so we struggled a little bit there. Uh, Matteo Ganduzzi, who played over 2,000 minutes last season, but still just 20 years old, you know, he started as well. So, you know, a lot of youth to decide. Callum Chambers got to start, something we probably won't be seeing a lot of. Maitland Niles starting it right back. So, you know, I think all in all, to get the points away on opening day with that kind of team was good. We saw a little more experience coming against Burnley. Uh, and a full debut for Ceballos. And I think the story in the second game for us was really the way he starred. Um, a lot of people thinking back to Santi Cazorla and the kind of player we've missed in central midfield since he left. Uh, you know, we've been very easy to press and we've turned the ball over a lot when we've been pressed because we have a lot of static central midfielders who, who have struggled on the ball under pressure. Granite Shaka comes to mind. But Ceballos really eluded pressure well, moved in space well, was always available to receive. Uh, he led us in passing on the day at 90% completion. He was progressive. He drove forward. He gave his, his teammates an option on both sides of the pitch. So I think that, that gave us a totally different dynamic. And, and Burnley sort of surprised me. They didn't sit in their low block. They came out and they pressed early in the game. We were able to play around it. We got the early goal, uh, thanks to some individual brilliance from Lacazette off a corner. But then we did that thing we do sometimes. Little lack of concentration maybe, took our foot off the gas a little bit, allowed Burnley back into the game. Uh, they got a deflected pass into uh, Ashley Barnes to get the, the goal that tied the game. But sure enough, Ceballos uh, pressured the ball, won it, gave it to Aubameyang, and he did what Aubameyang does, which is score brilliantly to win the game for us. So, you know, I think some of the old Arsenal problems were still there in that game. We conceded too many shots from Burnley. Uh, we still allow too many chances against us, which is a problem. You know, we conceded 51 goals last season. Um, but there were some some green shoots, I think, through these first two games in the way we played through midfield, looking a little, little better with a back four, uh, as opposed to what I thought was a really, really putrid back three that we used a lot last season. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, Pepe's still trying to get up to speed, played a half last game. I don't know if he'll be ready to start for this one. 
We're playing without Tierney on the left, our new, our new left back, who we're really excited to see. We're playing without Hector Bellerin, obviously our very talented right back, uh, and using Maitland Niles, who I think is still learning that position. David Luiz just integrating at center back. So there's a lot of positions that are still a little bit up for grabs and a lot of players that are still figuring it out. And while I think we just about got it done in the first two games, this fixture looks like it's coming a little too soon for where we are in our development so far. Yeah, and just touching on the um, the Nicolas Pepe situation, obviously he's come in in the summer for a big fee, hasn't he? And um, like you say, he's only just started to to come into the side. Do, like you say, do you see him um, pushing for a starting place at the weekend at Anfield? Well, it's funny, right? Because Unai Emery said he looks ready to play more minutes this weekend, but he played 45 minutes last weekend. So if he's looking to play more minutes than 45, you got to think that means he's starting. Having said that, I don't think he will start. I think... Lacazette and Aubameyang, although we haven't always looked the best with both of them on the pitch together, I think they're in line for a start most likely. I'd be curious if he tries to go back to the back three for this game just to protect the defense a little more, a defense that gave up, uh, as you are no doubt well aware, five goals the last time we went to Anfield. We'd like to not repeat that debacle. So I think maybe Pepe will be used from the bench again, depending on the game situation. Um, you know, Mkhitaryan is a player who could potentially start just because of his experience and some of the drive he gives us and a little bit of the end product, I don't think Reese Nelson will be trusted in this situation. It's just um, a very big game for a young player still learning. So if it's not Pepe, I think it might be Mkhitaryan, but I, I don't really have a sense of which way he's leaning. I bet there's a part of him that wants to start Nicolas Pepe, but Emery has shown a little bit of a conservative streak. If I had to guess, he'll probably keep him on the bench. Okay, great stuff. Thanks, Elias. Okay, then, Jay, um, just... A little bit of news that's come um, come through today that about Alex Ox- Oxley Chamberlain and he signed a, a new deal. I think it's till twenty twenty two. I think it said um, when I read the the piece before. Um, there was a piece on the on the injury that he had today as well by I think it was Neil Jones for for Goal dot com and it explained the, the seriousness of his um, of his. Injury. It was like a, it was three injuries in one really with a, with an ACL and something to do with his medial ligaments and also part of uh, the muscle in his leg had actually, I think it was his hamstring had come away from the bone. So that this this injury was, was was massive for him, wasn't it? And and just to get back into into the squad is and playing again is, um, is testament to his character and and, and the way he's handled it, but. Um, to get a new contract on top of that, it's he's done exceptional, hasn't he? Well, yeah, we knew it was a bad injury, didn't we? I mean, there was talk potentially that he might never play again, so that's the severity of how bad it was. But the club sort of kept things close to the chest, didn't he? They didn't really reveal too much in the media. They just they were sort of like a bit vague, really, with the, the time scale of how long he'd be out for. And and this is the thing with Liverpool, and it happened last season as well, didn't it, with Joe Gomez as well, where you know, he, no one really truly knew how bad his injury was when he, he went off against Burnley in December time. And basically, he hardly played again, did he, for the rest of the season, right towards the end when he started getting a few cameo appearances. And that is a little bit of a fear as well about Alisson because they're being quite vague with his injury. And people are saying he could be back after the international break against Newcastle. We've heard a few little whispers and stories that it could be longer than that. It could be October time. You just don't really know what to believe. And with this stuff coming out about Oxlade-Chamberlain today... The, the report on it, I mean, 
you know, they're not really giving too much away. The club are they? and there's history there, as I say, with them two injuries that we've just spoken about there. So, you know, it is a bit of a concern with the Allison stuff, but Oxley Chamberlain is obviously one of these type of players where He's, he's so enthusiastic to be at the club. He loves the club. You can tell when you watch LFC TV. He, he's like a joker in the pack. You know, he, he's, he's loved by everyone. He's a massive part of the team spirit, the team bonding that's involved there. But you can't just get by on that type of character. You've got to perform on the pitch. And to be fair to the lads, you know, he's had a long road to recovery and he was getting little snippets here and there last season. And now all of a sudden he got a start against Southampton at the weekend and I thought he'd done really well in midfield. I mean, he struggled a little bit in the Super Cup, didn't he, playing out wide, but that's not really his position. He's better suited in, in central midfield, really, as, you know, a prober and someone who can link the play with the forwards. And, you know, I thought he did have quite a good game and, you know, he's being rewarded now for his hard work and his endeavour and basically his road to recovery. He's being rewarded with a new contract and, you know, it's great because, you know, you can tell the lads a big part of this Liverpool family that they've tried to, you know, generate. You can tell the squad are all really close and it's not just necessarily about like, you know, obviously we're a fantastic team, fantastic group of players, but it's also good to have team spirit and you can just tell, you know, times are good at Anfield and, you know, at Melwood on the training pitch and, you know, he's a massive part of that and he's been rewarded, as I say, with a new contract and fair play to the lads. Sorry about that. Yeah, my microphone was just on uh, mute for a second. Yeah, I was just saying that we've got, actually got a few people in the, the live chat room at the moment. Um, North Red and a guy called Kev O'Sullivan's asking a couple of questions towards Elliot. He's, he's asking about the Arsenal formation going into the game on Saturday. He says, do you see Arsenal playing a, a 3-4-3 or a, or a 4-5-1 um, formation? How do you see Unai Emery um, taking the, the formation into this game, please? It's a really great question because if there's one thing I've learned about Unai Emery since he's arrived, it's that uh, nobody really knows what formation he's going to roll out. I think he's tried really hard to transition us through the summer and into the start of this season to a team that can play a back four. The thing that worries me is Nacho Monreal and Ainsley Maitland-Niles playing fullback in a four up against Mane and and Salah. So... I I have a lot of concerns about them being able to do the job there, and he may as well, and he might want to get that third center back in there. I think if he did go with a back three, Nacho Monreal would move into the back three with Luis and uh, and Socrates, and then we'd see Kolasinac come in at wingback. Now, so- uh, Kolasinac has not played at all since, obviously, that horrible knife attack um, that happened to both him and Mesut Ozil. Yeah, where it looked like it was a carjacking, maybe something worse than that. It's, it's unclear, but there were security concerns. So I'm not sure what his his state of mind is right now, uh, if he's really ready to play or not. I mean, you'd hope so. But I, I'm inclined to think he will go with the back four, that he'll stick with that because that, that's the process. That's what we're trying to learn right now. I think he'll go to a midfield three that will probably feature Ceballos again. Uh, maybe he will go back to Shaka. Shaka has been a player he really, really trusts. Missed the last game through injury. I think Arsenal fans are ready to move on from him, but I'm not sure that Emery is ready to move on from him. And then the question is, would it be Matteo Ganduzzi again? Would it be Lucas Torreira, the more defensive player who's only just getting reintegrated? Or would Joe Willock keep his place? So as you can tell from what I'm saying, there's a lot of question marks there. There's really five players for three spots, and I don't know if the players or the manager himself knows which of those three are his first choice right now. 
What's clear is Aubameyang has to be on the pitch. He was red hot in preseason, and I know preseason is absolutely meaningless, but just the explosiveness, the finishing, it, it was on display, and, and you saw that Newcastle won the game for us there, won the game for us against Burnley, and he has to be on the pitch. So will he try the strikers together? Will he go with Lacazette and Aubameyang to start? And then I think it's down to Pepe or Mkhitaryan. That would be my guess. I, I do think it'll be more of a, a 4-2-3-1. That's what he's been going with. I think uh, Lacazette will be the striker. Aubameyang will be on one of the wings. If it's not Pepe, then then he'll be on the right wing with Mkhitaryan on the left. If it is Pepe, he'll be on the left wing with Pepe on the right. Apologies if any of this is hard to follow. Um, no, no, Aub- no Aubameyang will drift a little bit central because that's what he does when he plays on the wing. He's he's obviously not a natural wide player. He's not a great footballer per se, uh, although he is one of, in my opinion, the best strikers in the world. So when he's out wide, you don't want him necessarily carrying the ball a lot and distributing a lot. You you want to free him up to make the runs. His his best quality is his preternatural ability to find space in the box, arrive on time, and finish. So that's the lineup. I, I will admit that I think we are probably a little undercooked and underprepared for this game, that it's going to be a bit much for us. The one thing that gives me some hope, and you'll forgive me for saying it, is I think defensively you haven't looked as strong as last season so far. Uh, that's not to say that you know you couldn't turn up with a, a masterful defensive performance in this game, but I watched the Super Cup, and I was really surprised at how effective Chelsea was in the first half. Um, it looks like Klopp is pressing a little less, maybe with an eye towards maintaining the, the squad and fitness throughout the season. And I think with a little less pressure and you know maybe being able to play on the counter a little more, it could set up for Pepe, it could set up for Aubameyang. I see us getting maybe more chances than uh, than some might expect, but I don't see us being able to hold out defensively. I'm just I'm just not sure we have the defensive personnel right now to to keep out the the really phenomenal front line that you have. Excellent stuff. Um, cheers for that, Elliot. Okay, then Jay, like Elliot just touched on there, the the defensive situation um, with Liverpool at the moment. Uh, do you see? A difference to to the way we're playing from last season. Obviously, it's been sort of highlighted that we're possibly playing a little bit more of a, a higher line. And um, Jamie Carragher pointed out on the on the Monday Night Football this week, didn't he? That he, he seems to think that Liverpool are trying to play the offside trap and and trying to catch players in an offside position. Now, um, first of all, do do you think that Liverpool have changed this um, tactically and? Uh, Another point is, do you see um, VAR being one of the reasons as as to why Liverpool may have changed defensively this season? Yeah, I think it's been quite evident, hasn't it, that you know there's been a bit of a rule change, hasn't it, where the linesman's meant to let it go. So obviously, if it results in a goal, then VAR should rule it out, and that happened twice in the Super Cup against Chelsea, didn't it, with Pulisic in the first half and Mason Mount in the second half, and. You know, I do think it's a dangerous game, but I can see the idea behind it to play a higher line and basically that pushes up, doesn't it? So you play 10 yards further forward, it sort of like suffocates the opposition in their own half. So it pens them in a little bit more. So you're not, you're not really pressing the way we normally press as much, but you're playing 10 yards further forward, but then you're also susceptible then, aren't you, to the long ball over the top or to something like the offside trap and, this is where it comes down to the fact that, you know, sooner or later you would assume we're going to get caught out and we're going to make mistakes because the defenders aren't used to playing that way, are they really? It's not the way they played last season. Liverpool can see there was a 22 goals all last season. Quite a phenomenal record, really. 
you know, so the the most clean sheets in the league. Alisson won the Golden Glove Award, didn't he? So, you know, it's something has changed and it will be down simply, I think, purely down to the rule and, and obviously this VAR because it is an unbelievably massive effect on things and we've already seen it. There's only two weeks gone so far in the Premier League and there's been so many incidents already now that some you'd agree with, some you disagree with, some of the, uh, have been deemed very harsh. You know, but at the end of the day, it's all about getting the correct decision, isn't it? And the rules are in place. It's like the Manchester City game with the handball, the Porte. If that was against Liverpool, you probably would be furious. But, you know, rules are rules, aren't they? And, you know, it did it his hands and it resulted in a goal for Man City. And that was a phase of play that, you know, led to the goal, didn't it? So that's why it was ruled out. And it is taking a little edge, I think, off the game because, you know, it's not what we've been brought up with. We're not used to this type of system. But, you know, it's here to stay by the looks of it and there's nothing we can do about it. We've just got to get on with it. And obviously it is having a knocking effect of the way Liverpool are playing. And I would like us to get back to basics, to be honest with you, and play the way we were last year defensively because it just suited us as a team, as a group, especially the defensive line. And now all of a sudden, you know, the opposition are having quite a lot of opportunities to try and score against us. I think Southampton had... 14 was it at the weekend I think Norwich had similar similar amounts as well at Anfield the week before we've already said about Chelsea looked very dangerous didn't he in the Super Cups certainly in the first half but you know, like I say they scored two goals that were ruled out you know due to VAR so I would like us to get back to basics to be honest and with Arsenal coming to town you know it's it's sort of like one of them situations where no matter the way Arsenal have been over the years, they've always still been quite good going forwards, haven't they? You know, they, they do score goals. It's just that they've got a bit of a soft centre and they're not great defensively and they ship a lot of goals. But that's one thing you don't want to give them any initiative to you in the game where they're thinking Liverpool are playing with a high line here. We could get in over the back of them type of thing or down the channels or what have you. You don't want to leave not to chance, do you? So I would like to think on Saturday it might be a little bit of a change in tact, but you know, who knows? It's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah, and like you touched on just before, um, with, with them playing this a little bit more of a higher line, then they're more susceptible to a to a, a player running from deep, aren't they? If if no one's going to be tracking, say, a midfield player who's who's coming late into the box or a ball's played over the top and you've caught the striker offside, there's there's no suggestion to say you can't just stand there and a player can can run from deep onto the ball, which which has happened at times in, in the past few games. So it's I think it's something that Jurgen Klopp definitely needs to address. And with this being our, our first major Premier League fixture, if you like, against the Arsenal line in second place, I think this is um, this is a time where he does really need to go back to to basics and what he needs, uh, what he knows best from last season when, like you say, only conceding twenty two goals. So be very interesting to see what um, happens at the weekend. But back to you, um, Elliot. I'd just like to get your thoughts on the on the situation with with the VAR. Obviously, some people are, are in favour of it. Some people are not in favour of it. it. Like Jay says, it does seem to be taking a little bit of an edge off the game. Crowds are celebrating, people are going wild. Then the next minute, um, the referees decided that it's being overturned. Um, give us your your thoughts um, on the VAR that's just come into the, the Premier League, please. Yeah, it's really interesting. And look, first of all, I have to acknowledge, I'm coming from the perspective of someone who doesn't have the opportunity to go to the ground every weekend. So, you know, I, I realize that it does impact that experience. Uh, my friend Tim 
Stillman, who is a, a co-host of mine on our podcast, the Arsenal Vision podcast, he attends every single game home and away. And for him, he's not a big fan of it. He thinks it impacts the the experience at the ground. For me, there's a couple of things. Culturally, obviously, as you know, Americans are very used to this. There's video replay technology at work in pretty much all of the, the sports that are popular uh, in the United States. And for a long time, I was a big supporter of them, but I find that over time, they're increasingly aggravating, increasingly officious, increasingly particular about every little detail. On the National Football League here, they are continuing to expand the reach of video replay into more and more and more aspects of the game, slowing the game, increasing uh, advertising breaks during the broadcasts, and just generally making it to the point where no one really knows the rules now. Look, I think the biggest problem with VAR for the Premier League is making the rules make sense and then letting the referees use VAR to make the right call. Like the handball rule is a great example, okay? I think that they have now created a handball rule that no longer makes sporting sense so that they could fit it into the VAR format. Um, you know, you look at the, the goal that was disallowed for City that gave Spurs three uh, or a point in a game that they had no business taking points from. That doesn't feel like a just sporting outcome, right? I get that that is the letter of the law, the way they've drawn the, the, the rule up. But if that's the way the rule is now, then we've gone the wrong direction. We've created a handball rule that doesn't make sporting sense to support the technology. So what, what I don't understand is why can't we just have the rules make sense, be common sense, let the referee have a second look. So if he didn't get a good look, he says, oh, you know what? I didn't see that the first time. Yeah, I feel that's a foul. Or yeah, I feel that's handball. If he doesn't feel it's handball, trust his judgment. I mean, the referees are out there to referee the game. If you don't trust their judgment, you might as well take them off the pitch altogether and just have a computer refereeing the match. But for me, what VAR has done is it is starting to change the laws of the game so that the game itself doesn't really resemble the one that we all support. The the offside goals that we saw in the City game uh, in the first week, I keep picking on City, but they've had they've had some of the, the more controversial VAR calls so far. The handball call against Spurs, those are not within the spirit of the game the way we support it. So look, I am fully in favor of technology helping the referees see the game better. I wish we had better referees. I'd be in favor with putting more referees on the pitch. You know, uh, put them on the touchline, put them wherever you need to. But at the end of the day, I think changing the laws of the game to support the technology is very backwards, and that's kind of where we are. So, yeah, I think refereeing has been a problem in the Premier League. I think it's more down to the standard of the referees than it has been the technology. I was a big supporter of the technology coming in because I thought it needed to raise the standard of refereeing. The sad thing is I'm not sure what it's done. If anything, what I think it's done is just change the way the laws of the game are are interpreted, and that's that to me is backwards. That's not what it was meant to do. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for your uh, thoughts on the, the VAR. Very um, very well um, explained to us there, um, Elliot. Okay, so just before we um, do the score predictions, I'd like to get, obviously, we, we talk about on these podcasts, don't we, Jay, about the... Um, the Liverpool team, but this, um, but in this game, obviously we have um, a few, a few different options to what we did in the in the previous game, didn't we? So just um, give us your thoughts on what you you think will be the the starting eleven, and um, and your thoughts on who should start the game. Yeah, well, I think um, since Alexander Arnold at right back, Adrian will obviously be in goal because Allison's still out injured, and then Andy Robertson left back. It's as ever. It's always going to be Virgil Van Dijk centre half, and it's whoever partners him, whether it be Joel Matip or whether it be Joe Gomez. But 
The thing is, Joe Gomez, to me, he really struggled in the Super Cup, didn't he, against Chelsea, albeit a full-back, which, you know, he's not a full-back, is he? he's a centre-half, but I just think, even against Norwich, I don't think he was great either, and Matip come in, didn't he, and he don't, to be fair, he didn't have the best of games in Southampton, there was a couple of little moments there that could have been a bit dodgy for us, but, you know, certainly one that Alisson made, Adrian made a good save from, but I just think he might go with Matip again, for this game over Gomez because he's just not quite, still a little bit rusty, I feel. So I'd probably go with Matip alongside Van Dijk. In the midfield, I think Fabinho, he sat out the game in Southampton and he only came on late on in the game and I think that was a little bit down to what happened in Istanbul in the Super Cup because he was really fatigued, wasn't he? And he was cramped up at the end of you know the 120 minutes in extra time. So I think he'll come back into the midfield area and then Jordan Henderson also sat the game out against Southampton, came on late into the game. Similar reasons because he played the full, the full hit, didn't he, in Istanbul. I think, you know, obviously he should return to the starting lineup as well. The dilemma then is, do you go with Oxlade Chamberlain, who started against Southampton and played quite well? James Milner, who also started that game, got a little bit of a head injury. Or, you know, is it going to be um, Genie Wijnaldum? And to be honest, he, he does tend to start Wijnaldum in the home games, doesn't he? That's, the, you know, away from home, we used to be saying about Wijnaldum, he was a little bit like the invisible man in the away games, but at Anfield, he's quite good. So I, I think it'll be Wijnaldum himself, personally. I think he'll get the nods. I mean, some people will probably disagree and say Oxley Chamber will get a start, but I just think Wijnaldum will be the man. So I think it'll be a midfield trio of Fabinho, Henderson and Genie Wijnaldum. And then, of course, the, the, the front three, you know, the unplayable at times, aren't they? And they always tend to score against Arsenal, score goals for fun, really. And I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Salah, Firmino and Mane to play, you know, as the, as the three. So that, that'll be the 4-3-3 system for me and hopefully there's plenty of goals in there. Yep, cheers, Jay. Kev O'Sullivan, one of the, the guys in the in the chat room, also agrees with, with what you were saying there, Jay, about the uh, Matip situation being in defence with Fabinho, Hendo, Genie and, and the, the usual front three. So, yeah, seems um, a couple of the people in the chat room are, are agreeing with, the, your thoughts on the the starting eleven, and yeah, I'm pretty much of, of the same thinking. Uh, I think Genie Manaldo will, will start this game, and Oxley Chamberlain did uh, near enough play a full full game against Southampton. Coming back from that long injury, as, as we've spoke about, I think he'll he'll probably be on the bench for this one and uh, come on later on in the game. So, Elliot, I know we did speak a, a little bit earlier about your your starting eleven, um, but just just go through on. Um, Go through it again for us. Who you, who you think Unai Emery is going to go with at Anfield this weekend, please? Yeah, this this is the worst part because this is going to wind up with a situation where a kickoff on Saturday, everyone who listened to this is going to say that American bloke didn't know what the hell he was talking about because I'm going to get it wrong no matter what I say. Um, Emery used a back three to close down the game against Burnley, and it worked. And there's a little part of me that worries that his conservative side is going to get the better of him, and we will see – a back three with Maitland-Niles at wing-back, Kolasinac at wing-back, Luis, Socrates, and Nacho Monreal as the back three. A midfield two, any, any three, four, one, two, or three, four, three, however you want to say it. The midfield two would probably then be Shaka and Ganduzi, which is what he's picked in the past when he's done that, and it hasn't worked, unfortunately. And then it would be Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Mkhitaryan. 
I hope that's not what we see. I hope he trusts the back four and he tries to win the midfield battle. I, I am hesitant to say this, but I do think there's a chance we could be stronger in midfield if we put our, our agile technical midfielders in that we have now. So I'd love to see him go with Ganduzi, Torreira, and Ceballos in midfield with Mikatarian, Lacazette, and Aubameyang up front. The reason I don't think he will pick Pepe ultimately is that Pepe has shown in his, in his little bit of experience and exposure to the Premier League so far, he's not that switched on defensively. His off the ball intensity defensively hasn't been great. And it's one thing when you're playing Burnley at home. It's another thing when you're responsible for helping the inexperienced Maitland Niles defend, uh, Sadio Mane, right? So I, I think he might go for Mikatarian's better work rate defensively. I'd love to see Aubameyang really challenge Trent Alexander Arnold's wing and, and put him under some pressure when he's trying to bomb forward, attacking the, the channels and the, the half space between the center back and Alexander Arnold when he vacates his, his fullback position to join the attack. I think that Salah Arnold wing could be vulnerable to Aubameyang's runs. So we'll see how that works. But the question is, can we get on the ball and distribute and get him in behind? Um, I, I don't think we have much chance of winning this game, but I think if it's going to happen, it's going to come down to winning the midfield battle and maybe poking holes in, in the half spaces back in the center back of your back line and, and, and finding some openings there. So I hope he'll go with the back four. If he does, I think that gives us our best chance to get a result. I just worry that the conservative side of him will kick in and he'll go to the back three. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Elias. Right, okay, before we uh, end the show, what we're going to do is we, we do a score prediction from, from each of our guests um, each week. So going first, Jay, give us your, your thoughts on a score prediction and your reasons for them, please. Well, every time Liverpool and Arsenal play each other, there's, there's normally goals galore, isn't there? I mean, last season we won 5-1. The season before was 4-0. I think it was 3-1 the year before that. And even if you look at the games at the Emirates, last season was 1-1. It was a rarity, really, that there was hardly any goals in that game. But before then, it was 3-3. I think Liverpool won 4-3 on an opening day of the season one year as well. So so it normally does have plenty of goals. And I think I've seen a stat where since Jürgen Klopp's been Liverpool manager, we've played Arsenal seven times in the league. And I think we've scored 27 times, is it, or 24 times. So, you know, we average normally three goals a game against Arsenal. And I look at this Arsenal team and I just don't see any difference in terms of defensively. I don't see where they've improved. I mean, David Luiz is a strange character, a strange centre-half because... At times, he can have very good performances. He, he had a few, few of them for Chelsea. There's no doubt about that. But he's also a bit of a liability at times as well. And what you've got to consider is, is he any better than, like, Koscielny, who, who ended up leaving to go back to France to Bordeaux? I know Koscielny used to get injured quite a lot, but I don't personally think David Luigi is any better than, than Koscielny. So, you know, they've still got the same problems defensively, Arsenal, in my opinion. And, They've got a soft centre in the middle of the park and, you know, Xhaka was out for the last game, but I hope he does return because I think he's a very poor footballer, to be honest. He's a walking yellow card and I just think they've still got the same issues and there's no reason why Liverpool shouldn't be able to expose them. That said, I do think that the good going forward, as I said before, you know, the, the, the one thing about Arsenal, regardless of them having a soft centre, they've always scored goals, they've always looked dangerous and lively in the attacking third and 
you know, I don't think that'll change either because Aubameyang's a goal machine. He's quick. He could end up causing problems if he's played on the left hand side. You know, to target Trent Alexander Arnold because we all know Trent Alexander Arnold's brilliance, his delivery, his first class. You know, he got the most assists last season, but he's not a great defender and he does get targeted quite often. And if you've got a pacey left-sided player up against them, sometimes he can get exposed. And I think that he will try and target that area, maybe with Aubameyang. Um, other than that, you know, Lacazette's a very good player. I wasn't too sure about him when he first signed for Arsenal, but I do think he is a good footballer, good, good eye for goal as well. It's interesting to see if Pepe does start because Emery's been very cautious with him at the moment. He's been on the bench and coming on for cameo roles. I think maybe, I agree with Elliot with what he's saying. I think he probably will be on the bench for this game to be brought on, you know, in the second half as an impact player with, say, half an hour to go. So it's interesting to see who will start over him, but I just think that there'll be goals in it because sometimes when you talk about a fixture and you say, oh, I expect it to be this scoreline and that scoreline, it ends up being nil-nil. I just cannot see it happening with Liverpool and Arsenal because I just think two very attack-minded teams. You know, Liverpool's defence has looked a little bit not not dodgy this season, but we have gifted quite a few opportunities, and, and we touched on it before with playing the high line and you know the new rule and a new VAR system in place. Liverpool have changed a little bit in the defensive department, so it's offered up opportunities for the opposition. So I do think you know there's that factor as well. And I, like I've just said there about Arsenal, I don't see any improvements in their back line at all. Still got a soft centre, so I can only see goals and. Liverpool won 5-1 last season. I can't see it being such a big deficit this time around. So I'll be a little bit more cautious with my scoreline prediction, but I'll say a Liverpool 3-1 victory. Jay's going for a 3-1 victory for Liverpool in this game. Yeah, I've just uh, threw it out there to the people in the, the chat room as well. Uh, uh, North Red, he says uh, he thinks could be a 3 0, but he's he's fearing a high scoring game, possibly a 4 3 or a 3 2. So, yeah, if anybody watching wants to put your score predictions in there, we'll, we'll try and get through them as quick as we can. Okay, then, uh, Elliot, do you want to give us your thoughts on a, a score prediction and your reasons why, please? Now, I'd be happy to roll our Shabin back out there and get another 4 4, but I don't see that happening. Um, you know, I think 3 1 is spot on, unfortunately. I, Emery's plan against the big sides last season was to play more of a box in midfield, pack the middle of the pitch a little bit, and force teams to attack us out wide. Um, so that worked at times and didn't at others. I mean, the problem is when you have teams that are really good at cutbacks and and have players that can attack the edges, it, it didn't work. And obviously the City game um, away and the Liverpool game away are two examples of where he tried that and we didn't really get beat in behind in the center of the pitch, but we got killed in the corners and the edges. So I could see that being the case again. I don't think we have the players to deal with Mane or Salah. Um, I would man mark Firmino. I'd put Torreira on Firmino and just have him follow him around so he can't do that thing where he drops in and distributes like a false nine or almost your 10, really. Um, you know, and I'd have Ceballos and Ganduzi there trying to distribute quickly to Aubameyang and Pepe running behind. I don't know that it'll go that way because as I mentioned, Pepe doesn't look to have the defensive intensity, so I think it'll be Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan is a player who can turn up and be one of the best attacking players you ever watched for 20 minutes and then misplace five-yard passes for 20 straight minutes and have you pulling your hair out. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. I do think that Aubameyang's always 
a safe bet to to find a way to get a goal, but I don't see how we keep you out. So ultimately, three one sounds right to me. I know my my pod mates, especially Clive, who does the pod with me, who who thinks there's absolutely no way we're losing at Anfield this time, will be furious. But I I think it just comes a little too soon. I think you have a little too much quality in the attacking half. It could be one of those games where you come away saying Arsenal played some good football. That's a good team, but. When it comes to taking chances, I, I think you'll be able to take your chances and create a few more than, than we will. Great stuff, yeah. Um, Kev, Kev O'Sullivan, he's another one. He's uh, agreed with Jay on a 3-1 scoreline. I just think, uh, myself, I, I do think Arsenal uh, have improved the squad from last season, no doubt about that. Um, but Liverpool now, with, with a full week's recovery behind them after... after Winning the Super Cup and then going to, to Southampton, I think, think the confidence in the squad should be really high and um, massive home game in, in front of the in front of the Anfield crowd under the lights as well. Uh, evening kickoff, I just think yeah, Liverpool are going to be really really up for this game and uh, I can see Liverpool scoring goals, but like, like you say, I can also see Arsenal scoring goals. Uh, my prediction: I'm going to go with a with a four-two scoreline uh, in the favour of Liverpool. I just think uh, Salah. Um, and Mane, they, they, and Firmino, they always, always play well in this fixture and they, they seem to be able to get at this Arsenal, Arsenal defence and, and with Louise and there now, like Jay just said, he, I think he can be exposed at times. He's, he's not the greatest defender as he is, his spatial awareness and things like that. He, he can drift, he, he can get caught out in his position. I just think that Liverpool will be able to capitalise on, on the, on that situation. So I'm going to go with a 4-2 Liverpool victory in this fixture. Okay, so before we uh, go, lads, just have to do a couple of little thank yous before um, before we end the show. So big thanks to the LFC Day Trippers for putting out the live podcast. Big thanks to the At Liverpool online Facebook, Instagram and Twitter page. Also, don't forget to keep up to date with the No More Knives campaign run by Paul Bentley, Lee Butler and a few of the guys over there. If you check out their their Twitter page, they've got a, they've got a, a new box an event lined up for I think it's November um, Sean Mashadod the, the boxer from the, the Whittles involved in that alongside Paul so um, if, you, if you have a look on their, their Twitter pages Facebook pages you can get all the details about that um, in the future so big thanks to Elliot and big thanks to Jay for joining me on the, the podcast tonight lads yeah th- thanks for having me on yeah it was a real pleasure I'd, I'd love to come back anytime if people can tolerate the accent and the uh, Arsenal viewpoint and I'm going to add one more thing, even though you're saying goodbye to me, but just real quick. Uh, the one yeah. thing about David Luiz, he does have an eye for a long pass. And if you guys play a high line and Luiz can get on the ball, the one thing I'd look for is can he distribute over the top to Aubameyang because he started to try that a little bit against Burnley. And that, that could be a just a little secret thing to look out for in the match. Yeah, could possibly do well in the uh, NFL once he leaves football, uh, do you think? <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah, so, yeah, but thanks very much for your time, Elliot. And, yeah, we, we'd uh, really appreciate you coming back on again in Same, the future. Thanks. It's brilliant. Thanks a lot. Okay, and thanks to you, Jay. Cheers, lads. Enjoy the game. Hopefully it'll be a, uh, you know, goals galore and goal fest and hopefully Liverpool win, though. Brilliant stuff. And, yeah, thanks to everybody who's commented in the, the chat room tonight. There's been quite a few. Um, if we haven't got onto your comments, uh, really appreciate it. And if you can... Uh, with us we will get through uh, the comments more and more attention social security and ssi recipients if you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents 
you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wines and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.